0: That chat is brought to you by Walters. The weekend is upon us, and Walters is a great spot to gather for brunch. From chicken and waffles to Walters breakfast tacos, Walters menu has something for everyone.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. On top of that, for only
2: $20, enjoy bottomless drinks including mimosas, bloody marys, trullys, and old time loggers. Make your reservation at waltersdc.com today.
3: And the 2-1 pitch hit in the air to deep right center field. This is trouble. Soto going back, way back looking up and it is gone. Goodbye. A 3-run home run for Austin Slater on a 2-1 pitch from Corbin and the Giants with four on the board lead it by the score of four to nothing. This will be the 39th pitch of the inning. The base is loaded, two out. Corbin delivers and a swing and a drive in the air to left center field. Can anyone get there in the gap? Thomas coming over, it's off his glove and goes all the way to the fence. This is gonna clear the bases and Crawford is into second with a three-run double and the Giants now lead seven to nothing and now they're sending Ruiz out to stall here I mean Ramirez has barely had time to get ready but that's going to be it yep I don't think you have a choice Davy Martinez is going to walk very slowly to go to the mound as Patrick Corman is going to be out of this game with two out in the second inning
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, April 23rd, 2022, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MadisonSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Things on Friday night got a lot worse for Patrick Corbin. And that's saying something, because things already were pretty bad. Uh, Patrick Corbin, in the 2020 regular season, had a four sixty six ERA, gave up a major league worst 85 hits. Corbin finished the 2021 Regular season with a 582 ERA, worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors. Andy had a 147 whip, the second worst whip among qualified pitchers in the majors. And now Patrick Corbin, over four starts in the 2022 regular season, has an ERA of 1120 and a whip of 256. We had a disastrous start for Corbin. On Friday night. And we have said that many times over the last few years, but Friday night may be the new low point. Seven runs in one and two-thirds innings. The Nats fell to six and ten with a 7-1 loss to the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park in game one of a three-game series. And we now have an interesting development regarding who the Nats starting pitcher will be in game two of this series. And so maybe more than ever, Corbin's spot in the Nats rotation is is in question. There is a lot to talk about it off this game in which there was zero drama on Friday night. You know, it's funny, Mark. Corbin began his start on Friday night with back-to-back strikeouts. The beginning was actually quite good. Uh, the rest of the outing, not so much.
2: Yeah, and he said after those first two batters, after the bullpen that he threw beforehand, he said, I felt great. He thought his stuff might have been the best stuff he's had all year. And then it just all fell apart and we can dissect why we think that is or not if we don't feel like going into it all. But Davey Martinez felt like he was overthrowing. I mean, he was hitting 94 miles an hour a lot and Davey felt like that was actually too hard because now he's throwing everything up in the zone and he's not effective when he's up in the zone needs to be down in the zone but you know he starts walking batters he's throwing sliders that are not competitive I thought he was just up in his zone I mean he got the first two outs of the thing balls were moving good you know sliders were down fastball was down and then and um, everything started getting elevated and then when he when he throws the ball up there he loses that
0: that sink so the ball becomes flat
2: you know I thought for a moment there that Given the state of the pitching staff and everything else, they might just have to leave him out there for a while and make him keep going. But the problem was his pitch count was so high just in the second inning alone that Davey felt like he had to make a move and not risk it going on any longer. And so now here we are. You gave the numbers. uh, I'll give you the numbers over the last three years because it's pretty awful. 46 starts the last three seasons, 26 losses most in the majors, 581 ERA highest in the majors. 1.554 whip worst in the majors, and it's not even close. So we can keep talking about what they're working on. We can say, well, there's some signs of this or that. But at some point, don't you have to say this isn't working? And what do we do? Now, Davey said that's not the time right now. He said he's going to be back out there in five days. But I would imagine at some point here, some hard conversations have to take place because I'm not sure what it's accomplishing anybody To keep doing this and expecting the results are suddenly going to be different.
0: I tweeted this during the game. You can follow me on Twitter at Al Galdi. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Zuckerman. It's hard to think of another athlete in DC sports with a decline like this a decline as sudden as Patrick Corbin's, a decline as drastic as Patrick Corbin's, and a decline as unexplainable. As Patrick Corbin's. You know, we've discussed many times what has happened with Corbin. The why behind the what really does remain a mystery. He's not some guy who's supremely old. This is his age 32 season. He has very little injury history. I mean, one thing you can say good about him is that he has been durable during these years in which he has not been good. You know, there's been a part of me that's been anticipating some article or some story that comes out at some point detailing. Some sort of behind the scenes problem with Corbin. We haven't had any of that. There's no sign that, like, he's not getting along with people or that there's like strife in his personal life or anything like that. This really is a mystery. But what has happened, he has become, and this isn't an exaggeration, he's become the worst starting pitcher in the majors. Like, quantifiably, he is. That's not a mean statement, that's a factually accurate statement. Have you spoken with anyone on or off the record who has a theory for what has happened here? Because he's gone from being a really good and valuable pitcher to this team to, again, being the worst starting pitcher in baseball.
2: I think what you hear from people off the record mostly is that he had that formula for success in 2018 with Arizona and 2019 here, and it's all that he knows how to do. It's fastballs get ahead in the count, sliders to put him away. And he doesn't have anything else. And he has not ever learned how to adapt, how to adjust. He has not been able to pick up a changeup that changes anything. Keeps kind of trying to go back to what has worked for him in the past. And it clearly doesn't work. Now, is that because it's too predictable? Is that because he just has to be so fine with that to be successful? And he can't do that anymore. He's just not able to hit his spots. I don't know. But, I, you know, I think we've been talking about a guy who really is a even at his best was a two pitch pitcher for a starting pitcher to be successful that way. It's really hard to do that. And so maybe what you're coming to the realization of is that what he did for those two seasons was the aberration. And it's really not repeatable to be able to do that. There's enough. Everyone knows what the plan is with Patrick Corbin. You're not going to be fooled by anything from him. And so it makes him eminently hittable unless he's somehow perfect with his command of everything. I think there are people who also would say that if not for the contract, he'd probably already be in the bullpen, that what he does may actually work in a relief role in short stints. It's possible. And we saw success in the playoffs doing that. But the situation that he's in, and rightfully or wrongly, the contract sort of dictates that he's going to get a much longer rope than anyone else would in this situation. And so that's why I think we are going to see him again
0: on the mound in five days. Yeah, the contract, I would think, too, the lack of organizational pitching depth is a factor here as well. There isn't that obvious guy uh, to put in the rotation ahead of him. It was bad on Friday night. Like we said, seven runs, one and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, four singles. He issued three walks. He did have four strikeouts, but he threw 60 pitches in his one and two-thirds innings. He did toss a scoreless top of the first, but the top of the second was a disaster, a debacle. Seven runs. He recorded just two outs. You know, I'll say this in somewhat of a defense, okay? And I emphasize that word somewhat. You know, he gives up two doubles to Brandon Crawford. That by itself tells you all you need to know. One guy had two doubles off Corbin in the same inning. There was some bad luck. That first double came on a grounder that went off first base. That was kind of weird. And then the second double was a play on which Lane Thomas could have made a sliding catch, didn't it was not an easy play to make, but it was a catch that perhaps could have been made. But I mean, otherwise, you know, he was issuing walks. He gave up the big one-out three-run opposite field homer to Austin Slater, gave up the RBI single to Mike Yastrzemski. Victor Robles committed a fielding error on that play. So, you know, there were some things that went wrong, but Corbin does not get a benefit of the doubt at this point. There's no question about that. Now, you said that Corbin's not going anywhere in relation to the rotation. I do think it's interesting. We thought Paolo Espino was going to start Game 2 of this series. He ends up pitching two scoreless innings of relief. And by the way, another spectacular game for this Nats bullpen. We got to hit on that. But it's sounding like Aaron Sanchez will be the Nats starter in game two of this series. So, I mean, if Sanchez does well, does he get another start? And is someone going to be out of this Nats rotation if Sanchez does well? Or do you think this is just a spot start for Sanchez that's coming up?
2: Well, the problem there is that he's not on the 40-man roster. And as far as I know, he's out of options. He's been around the big leagues for a while with Toronto and Houston and San Francisco last year, as a matter of fact. So if he is the the guy and uh, by all accounts, he's lined up for it and was already on his way to Washington, it would seem to me that you don't do that unless you plan to keep him up here, at least for a little bit. Unless he's just so bad (laughs) that he makes one start and they just release him. And I don't think they've gone through all this just for that. So, yeah, I think that this could be a, a sign of some other move. Now, Josh Rogers has not looked good in recent outings. He has options. Yoan Doan has had moments here and there, but he's obviously a young pitcher, uh, and he has options. So I think there are some decisions that are being made, uh, maybe even as we record this. I know Davey didn't want to reveal after the game his exact plan for Saturday. He said he was headed back to his office to meet with Mike Rizzo and talk about this and other stuff. So there are some decisions to be made, including – who would clear the roster spot for uh, Sanchez because somebody would have to come off the 40-man roster. So that could be somebody going on the 60-day IL. It could be somebody being DFA'd. So there's some different moves they could make here. And uh, I guess they hadn't fully made up their minds on that. But by all accounts, from as best as I can tell, they were hoping to get through tonight without using Paolo Espino. And if they did, then they wanted him to start the game on Saturday. And it just reached a point where they couldn't go any further without using him. So that's why he's out. And that's why it looks like Aaron Sanchez is in. And just one more name, because we've been talking about him, Cade Cavalli. We mentioned he hasn't pitched for a while at Rochester. The Red Wings have named him as Sunday's starter there. So he was getting a few extra days uh, and is scheduled to pitch there. doesn't mean other things can't happen between now and then, but that's the latest we heard on him.
0: Want to hit on something you said a few minutes ago, if not for the contract, Patrick Corbin might already be in the bullpen. Look, I get there's a human nature to all of this in that it's impossible for a guy on a 60 or $140 million contract to not have that contract influence how you view him, how you use him. But just for the record, the contract is a sunk cost. It's not going anywhere. So whether he's great or awful, you're paying him the same. One of the worst things I think that teams do, especially in baseball, in which you have these guaranteed contracts – is you let the contracts dictate how you run the team, how you handle player personnel. I know it's easy for us to say that the contract shouldn't influence things, but let's say it, the contract shouldn't influence things. You need to do what's in the best interest of the team. Now, if you believe, and there is an argument to be made here, we don't have other better options. And so what's best for this team is that Corbin somehow, some way figures this out. Okay, fine. But if literally the only reason you haven't yet demoted Corbin to the bullpen is that contract, that's bad. And that's not a reason to keep him in the rotation.
2: Yeah. So what I would say right now, the sense I get is that they probably do believe that at the moment, they don't have five certifiably better options than him. That doesn't mean that can't happen here in the possibly even near future. As we start to see guys come up, as we see some other guys get healthy uh, there's certainly a roadmap that you could see where they would have five guys that obviously give them a better chance, and maybe that's when you make that move. And and what you have to remember is, if you make that move at some point and remove him from your rotation, you're essentially making that move kind of for good. You know, I mean, that's not something you're just doing for a couple weeks and then putting him back in the rotation. That's the last resort kind of move. There's only one other move beyond that, and that's eating the contract and releasing him. And I don't think they're anywhere close to that yet. So I can understand why they would want to hold out as long as possible before moving him to a bullpen, because I think that's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a permanent move at that point, unless something really changes dramatically. And they're not there quite yet with that. And, you know, as for the contract, they all know it. Of course, they understand that that's not the number one reason to leave a guy in the rotation. But It is there. He is, you know, was their opening day starter. He, like you said before, while there's a lot of frustration, certainly within the club over how he's pitched, there isn't that I sense any frustration with him. They know he's trying hard. They know he's not happy with this. Uh, he, He actually showed a little bit of emotion after this one and, you know, revealed how difficult it's been for him. The kind of thing that he doesn't often share publicly. So I think that maybe helps him along the way here and makes it so they aren't feeling like they have to make a drastic move because there there is a lot of respect for him within the clubhouse. They feel for him as opposed to being upset at him.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there should be respect. What he did in 2019 should never be forgotten. And he doesn't seem to be like some jerk or anything like that. You know, the jerk factor here doesn't seem to be sky high or anything like that. You do feel for the guy. It can't be easy for him. He's got to be embarrassed. He got booed. I feel like more than he's ever been booed on Friday night. I mean, you actually had a halfway decent crowd at Nationals Park, at least by 2022 standards. He was getting booed. And those boos are only going to grow louder as these struggles continue. But, you know, you just take a step back. We all knew where we were with Corbin going into this season. We're four starts into his season. He has an ERA over 11. You know, like it really couldn't have gone much worse here, all things considered, over his first four starts. And I say that acknowledging that he actually, in his previous outing, wasn't that bad. Two runs in five and a third innings in a 5 3 loss at Pittsburgh last Sunday afternoon.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
0: on Friday night. As if this game needed something like this, we got this. So Friday night was another bad game for Alcides Escobar. 0-3. He is really struggling as a batter so far this season, uh, to say nothing of some of the issues he's had in the field. He's looked slow. Quite frankly, he's looked old. Well, Alcides Escobar was jawing at the Giants' dugout after the end of the top of the ninth inning. Now the runner goes. swinging a fly ball. Shallow left against the shift. Franco going out. Can't make the catch.
3: Runner around third's going to try and score. Escobar's throw to the plate. Ruiz has it. The tag and he is out to end the inning. Again, runner going on the pitch but not being held. And the ball drops in. He tries to score all the way from first. Escobar picks it up and throws about 6-2 on the out.
0: At the plate to end the inning. And Escobar's, he's upset. He's saying, Why are you running with the score? You know, just watching the game, you weren't positive about why Alcides was upset, but it sure seemed like he was upset because he thought that the Giants were trying to run up the score. I have a lot to say about this. I know you do too, but let's just set the record straight here. Was that, in fact, what Escobar was upset about?
2: Yes. While not coming all the way out and saying exactly what it was, David Martinez is asked after the game. What happened in the ninth inning, he said, They did some things that, you know, we felt like it was uncalled for. But you guys can ask Gabe Kapler about that. He didn't want to expand beyond that. Escobar very politely declined to speak to us afterwards through a, a club spokesperson. Now, Gabe Kapler, for his part, now let's put some things out there, some background here. When it was 7 nothing early in the game, one of the Giants writers says to me, Does anybody on the Nationals have a problem with teams that run up the score on them? they have any issues with the unwritten rules of the game and i said no I don't, I don't really think anyone does it kind of depends on what the situation is he says okay because just so you know the giants don't lay off the gas pedal they've already had an issue with the padres i believe it was earlier this year when they have a lead it doesn't matter they keep playing hard all the way through and in baseball circles some people don't enjoy that some people think that's the wrong way to play the game so in that ninth inning, it's already it's seven to one at this point. There's two outs in the top of the ninth. Estrada's on first, and the Nats are not holding him on. Which, when you're you know that late in the game, that the, that big of a deficit, you don't really bother to hold a runner on. So he takes off on the pitch. You have this bloop hit into shallow left center field, and because he's running on the pitch, Estrada's already at third base by the time Escobar picks up the ball. So their third base coach waves him in. Escobar alertly and very well, like you just said, makes a good throw to the plate and he's out pretty easily. And I almost thought he might've gotten hurt. you know, Estrada, it was a hard tag at the plate. So as I'm watching all this, I'm thinking to myself, I don't necessarily have a problem with them doing it, but I think it's kind of silly for them to be that aggressive at that point in the game because you don't need it and you're risking potentially injury to your player. It doesn't look like that happened, but you, know, you never know what might happen. So afterwards, Gabe Kapler tells the San Francisco reporters, he says, you know, we scored seven runs in an inning tonight. They have Josh Bell and Juan Soto and Nelson Cruz in the middle of their lineup. We know they're capable of scoring seven runs in an inning as well. So you get it. People can have their opinion on either either side of this equation. But I will say that the Nationals weren't happy with it. This is one of those unwritten things. And I don't know if they're in the right on it or not, but it definitely spiced up the end of a game that otherwise was a pretty simple game.
0: Yeah, a bland game uh, got a spicy ending. I'll just say this, and this is you know my opinion. I think it is such loser talk and loser behavior when athletes and coaches and players whine about other teams running up scores. To me, it's very simple, and you know I'm not trying to sound like a tough guy or anything. But if you don't like another team scoring on you, then deny them scoring on you, and you know, the Nats this season are not a very good team. You know, the Nats now have a run differential of minus 26 on the season. That is the second worst run differential in baseball. Only Cincinnati's run differential is worse. So I guess you could say that the Nats already this season have experience getting blown out in games because they've already lost games this year, 16 11-2, now 7-1. So if any team knows proper conduct late in a blowout loss, I guess it is the Nats at this point. But uh, I got to tell you, I was not a fan of this most cities Escobar. I thought this was a bad look. I think it's a loser look. And, you know, I know that Davey's going to stand up for his guy, but uh, I'd be disappointed in Davey if he's really that upset. Like, if you don't like it, don't let your behind get whooped by the Giants on a Friday night at Nationals Park like that. And you know what? Gabe Kapler's explanation does make sense. I mean, do you expect the Nats to score seven runs in the ninth? No, but it is possible. It's not beyond the realm of possibility here. So, yeah, I thought that was silly. I, I really I really hope that's the last we hear of unwritten rules with the Nats this year or anything like that. I just I did not think that that was uh, a very good look. Um, you know, this was another bad night offensively for the Nats. I mean, it's hard to get away from Corbin because that that's the headline by far of this game. But this was another game in which the Nats offense really did next to nothing. Uh, you scored just the one run. It did come on a homer. The Nats did homer Michael Franco with a nice home run, uh, 400 plus feet. But I mean, just six hits in the game, just one walk in the game. Uh, Nelson Cruz 0 for 3 with a walk. Uh, His OPS is at 570. I mentioned Escobar struggling 0 for 3. Escobar has an OPS of 418. Victor Robles 0 for 3, two strikeouts. OPS at 303. The two guys who have hit for the Nats this season, Juan Soto and Josh Bell, each had two hits. Uh, Each guy had a double and a single. And Soto's double, his 500th career regular season hit. So that was good. But man, right now, if your last name isn't Soto or Bell, you're really not doing much offensively for the Nats.
2: No. And it's not like they were facing the Giants' A pitching staff in this game either. They were essentially throwing a bullpen game. This was a spot start uh for i gotta look up his name again sam long you know he only went two innings didn't even face the lineup a full time and then jacob Junis throws five scoreless out of the bullpen 61 pitches so they didn't see the best the giants have to offer in this game and this is the offensive output that they uh put forth and that's a problem uh yes you are seeing struggles from the number one hitter cesar hernandez Seeing struggles from the number three hitter, Nelson Cruz. You're seeing struggles from Caber Ruiz, who after that really good opening series against the Mets has cooled off dramatically since then. That's not great. Lane Thomas still has not really shown much or seized the left field job, so much so that Yadiel Hernandez is kind of starting just as much as Thomas does in left field. Yeah, they are not, you know, they've had a few games where they put it all together, but there's not been any consistency there. I'm not going to blame the weather on this one. It was 70 degrees at first pitch. So this isn't a case of, oh, just another cold April night. The one thing I'll say, and I'm not excusing them for it, but when you're down 7 nothing in the top of the second inning, you're already staring at that deficit, and it's a lot different than a 0-0 game at that point, or even a 1-0, 2-0, 3-0 game. I mean, you pretty much know at 7-0 this game's over. So was there a little bit less you know energy from the Nationals the rest of the way? There may have been some of that, although... You had Soto on his double in the third inning, which off the bat, he and everyone else thought it was going to be a home run. It wasn't. It bounces off the wall. Now he tries to stretch it to a triple and gets thrown out. And that may have been trying to do too much for a team that's struggling to score runs. Uh, I know it was a close play. I know that the replay made it seem like he was safe, and they instead ruled him out. But was that necessary to go for third on that? Sort of like once you realize the ball's off the wall, take your double and hope that Nelson Cruz can drive you in
0: yeah uh it was another instance of the nats running themselves into it out uh seems like that has been a theme in recent years with the nats uh certainly has been a theme to an extent so far this season. You know, I'll just say this about you know being in a, a blowout predicament, I get that that can reduce your motivation, but one guy who to me never gives up plate appearances is Soto like he is always competing and is at bat so If it's uh, good enough for Soto to keep competing, then it should be good enough for everyone else in that lineup to keep competing, okay? I mean, who is Cesar Hernandez or Alcides Escobar or Victor Robles as compared to Soto? And, you know, with Josh Bell, Josh Bell is down 0-2 in the bottom of the seventh and ends up working a one-out single up the middle, you know? Like, so Bell and Soto are competing. So to me, the rest of these guys have got to pick it up. And, you know, it starts with Cruz. And I still think that he will hit, but man, He's not doing much right now. He's, I mean, out of the big three, Soto, Bell, Cruz, two of the three are hitting and Cruz isn't. And that's as clear as can be right now. Well, you mentioned the Giants going with a bullpen game on Friday night. The Nats effectively went with a bullpen game because old Corby lasted for just one and two thirds innings. And I tell you, man, and we laugh every time we talk about it because we're like, this can't keep happening. But it happened again. The Nats bullpen on Friday night was outstanding and uh I don't say that lightly and I'm not exaggerating when I say that and this was another game in which this wasn't the A bullpen or even the B bullpen this might have been like the E bullpen you had and actually E is uh, appropriate because Erasmo Ramirez started things off and set the tone 3 and the third scoreless innings with three strikeouts he comes into the game in relief of Corbin And Ramirez, three and a third shutout innings, three Ks, gives up just one hit, which was a single, issues no walks. And I love this, 30 of his 43 pitches for strikes. The entire tempo of the game changed with Ramirez pitching in it. And then he's followed up by Francisco Perez, who tossed a scoreless top of the sixth, did issue back-to-back two-out-five pitch walks to Wilmer Defoe and Brandon Belt, but got out of the inning unscathed. Patrick Murphy, toss a scoreless top of the seventh and then our guy, the secret weapon, Paulo Espino, two scoreless innings, uh, despite giving up three singles. So Ramirez, Perez, Murphy, Espino, great job by those guys. Four guys combined for seven and a third scoreless innings.
2: So if you take Ramirez and Perez, the first two to come in after Corbin, they combined through four and a third scoreless on 59 pitches. Patrick Corbin, needed 60 pitches just to throw one and two-thirds. So there's your difference right there. And that's how a game that was started off so slowly still finished in two hours and 53 minutes at the end of all that, not to mention the lack of offense from the Nationals. So yeah, I give them credit. They are doing everything they can to at least give their lineup a chance to come back. And it's good for them. The one thing I was a little surprised here when we didn't see Paolo... For most of the game, I'm thinking, okay, well, they are going to save him up for Saturday. And then they finally bring him in for the 8th and the ninth, truly in garbage time at that point. And he he pitched well. He got the two uh, scoreless. But I'm kind of thinking to myself, why didn't you bring him in earlier? Or why didn't you just find somebody else to throw those two innings so that you could save him to start on Saturday? And I'm not really sure the answer to that. This, This has happened to him a few times. He has not pitched that much. And when he has pitched, it's very often been the last guy pitching in a game that's kind of lopsided he hasn't been the first guy to replace a starter uh that was ineffective and i'm a little surprised by that because either they just don't think he's that effective he's really like truly like the last man in the bullpen or what or or they think it's almost like he's so valuable to them that we can't use him until we absolutely have to and i'm not sure what the answer there is it's one or the other
0: The usage of Paolo has been odd this year. In a season in which starters routinely are giving you such little length that we haven't seen more of Espino has been bizarre. And in a season in which, you know, you've had opportunities here for people who weren't supposed to be in your rotation to make starts, that it almost feels like the Nats sometimes are going out of their way not to start, not to pitch Espino. That has been strange. I mean, you know, you have multiple guys who last year did well, who, for whatever reason, aren't being used much this year. It's almost like what they did last year doesn't count or isn't really particularly uh, seen as having been real by this team. You know, I think about, like, Riley Adams. Uh, I think about Paolo Espino. Uh, Even something like Josh rogers he pitched well late last year, and yet the team wanted Anibal Sanchez in the rotation to begin the season over Rogers, even though Sanchez didn't even pitch in the majors last year. So I don't know. Maybe the team is just like last year doesn't count. It doesn't matter what these guys did. And maybe that's the right way to view things. I don't know, but I'm with you. I, I think it is kind of weird that we haven't seen more of Espino like this. At this point, if you're doing a bullpen hierarchy in terms of who is valued by Davey, I mean, Victor Rano is valued much more than Paolo Espino. I guess you have to say now Erasmo Ramirez is valued more than Paolo Espino. And that is odd, given what Espino did last year. He ended up being one of the better pitchers on the staff, starter or reliever.
2: Yeah, and maybe the answer is, is that uh, deep down they kind of know that's not really who he is, maybe. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Unless it is truly a case of we actually think he's so valuable that we're not going to use him uh, because we're saving him for a situation that inevitably doesn't end up happening. So I, I don't know. I truly don't know whether it would make a difference or not. I don't know. And, and the guys they put in there, like we said, they're all pitching well. So it's not like they put in somebody who was awful and you say, well, why didn't you pitch Palo instead? But it has been curious. And it's it's definitely been notable in my mind uh, of how he in particular has been used here.
0: Yeah, well, whatever the case, Nats bullpen, four of the last five games has been lights out three of the games against the Diamondbacks. And now this first game, against the Giants. So I do want to note that this bullpen is doing all it can. You know, you, you feel almost bad here. Nats are 6-10. It's like you're wasting these great bullpen performances. I don't know how much longer this bullpen can keep doing this. So that the bullpen is doing this. It's almost like you're like, can we get more out of the season in terms of wins while the bullpen is doing this? But uh, other things are not going so well right now. Well, we, on Friday, got Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross updates. You never know with these guys and their situations when you're going to hear how they're doing and what's going on. But, of course, you have Strasburg coming off the surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome. You have Joe Ross coming off having had bone spurs removed from his right elbow. And remember, still hovering over Ross is the possibility of him ultimately needing another Tommy John surgery. But uh, what were the updates here on Strasburg and Ross?
2: Well, they're both throwing off bullpen mounds in uh, Florida. Strasburg, I think, was 27 pitches, just did that on Friday. And if everything goes well, Davey says that he expects them both to be facing live hitters sometime next week. So that's good. Good progress, of course. You know, you got to take those steps. But that's still a long way away from pitching in a big league game here at Nationals Park. In Joe Ross's case, none of that's surprising to me. I mean, I think we knew all along it's going to be some point in the summer before he's truly ready after his bone chip surgery. In Strasburg's case, it's a little unusual because, like I said the other day, I saw him facing live hitters in Florida in March. And then somewhere along the way, they decided to back off and start building him up again. And now uh, here we are where he's almost ready to do it again. So I don't know what that means. I've been saying all along, you hope for the best with him, but I don't think you can count on much of anything if he shows up here and pitches and is healthy and is effective, great. But we don't really know what he's going to be, when it's going to be, how he's going to perform. It's a weird thing to say that, but we just truly don't know. This is not a case of, okay, we know the the clearly defined rehab period for something, and these are the steps he's going to take, and this is when he's going to make rehab starts. and He's going to build his arm up and then... You know, come June 1st, he's there in the rotation and and it's good to go again. We just don't know that. Uh, That's the nature of this particular injury. And it's frustrating for everyone. But in my mind, I kind of feel like I'm not getting my hopes up too much until we start hearing about him pitching in a game situation, a minor league rehab game, a simulated game up here, something like that before I really am going to get too excited about when is Strasburg going to actually pitch for the Nationals.
0: Yeah, more and more it feels like after Memorial Day, maybe when Strasburg makes his uh, season debut at the major league level, and even then, nothing's guaranteed. It's interesting. We get the Strasburg update on Friday, and then we get the uh, Corbin outing on Friday night. Strasburg and Corbin, a combined $385 million in contract money. And, you know, there are many reasons that the Nats are in the current situation that they're in, but right near the top, if not at the top, two big money contract starting pitchers. And each guy, for the most part, has been a mess. Now, Corbin did give you the great year in 2019, so we can't forget that. But beyond that season, you've gotten nothing from Strasburg since his contract, and you've had this incredible decline of Corbin. And it really is remarkable. I mean, if one of the two contracts are working out, Things might be appreciably different for the Nats right now, that both are not working out. And you know, it's so funny, right? Because the Nats, for the longest while, have this great example of a big money pitching contract working out with Max Scherzer, one of the great examples of a mega money contract for a pitcher working out. You know, it's almost like the Nats struck this deal with the devil of, oh, you can have the Scherzer glory, but then you're going to have to deal with what so many other teams deal with, which is big money pitcher contracts not working out. And you're going to have that times two with Corbin and Strasburg, that juxtaposition is very interesting With to me. First Max, now Corbin and Strasburg, uh, three very different situations.
2: We do have to remind ourselves that the majority of those contracts across baseball do not usually end up working out. And we were very spoiled here <laughs> to have one that worked out splendidly beyond what anyone could have ever imagined. Maybe the best free agent signing ever for any team, but that's not the norm. What Max did under that contract is not the norm.
0: Cade Cavalli cannot come soon enough. And when he comes, let us hope that he is exactly what we all want him to be. Uh, you tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Natchat Podcast. Hit up Tim Shovers. That email address again is NatchChat Podcast. At gmail.com, you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t shirt and support the podcast that way. We have a new t shirt that is out. You can get your shirt by going to Nats Chat Podcast dot square dot site. That's Chat Podcast dot square dot site All Nationals radio highlights on Natch Chatter are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Natch Chat Podcast. And speaking of Cade Cavalli, the team for which he is currently pitching, the AAA Rochester Red Wings, we get an update now on the latest on AAA Rochester from the voice of the Red Wings, Josh Wetzel, and uh, among the players you're about to hear about, Luis Garcia, who is doing rather well for AAA these days.
5: Okay, how about a Rochester Red Wings report? As it stands right now, at the end of the week, the Wings are 8-7 and seven currently in the International League East Division. As far as some offensive highlights, Luis Garcia has uh, been very good. He's batting 348 He leads the International League at the moment with 23 base hits, a lot of them for extra bases. Thursday night had a go-ahead single on a 3 0 green light for his third hit of the game. Joey Manessas a former IL Most Valuable Player with Lehigh Valley, is in his first year in the national system after signing a minor league deal. He ripped a couple of home runs in that game Thursday night. And also a home run for Nick Banks. Banks had missed... Several games, a little bit of a side issue, but he's been really, really good when he's been on the lineup, batting 372 in 11 games with four doubles and two home runs for the Red Wings. On the pitching side of things, a lot of people are wondering about Cade Cavalli. His most recent start was skipped just to give him a little extra time before his next start. Uh, Cavalli's numbers, I don't think, are really indicative uh, of how he's pitched necessarily. This first time through the lineup in both of his starts, he's been really, really dominant, had some issues, quite frankly, with some defensive misplays behind him that didn't go as errors, but some plays that could have been made. So Cade's numbers could certainly be a little bit better than they are at the moment. Aaron Sanchez, the veteran right-hander, former American League ERA champ with the Toronto Blue Jays, is the only Red Wing starter so far this season to notch a win. Last Sunday, he pitched six innings and allowed one run on seven hits and a victory over his old team, the Buffalo Bisons. And in the bullpen, Carl Edwards Jr., the former Chicago Cub, has been really good, six games, a 117 ERA. He's only allowed one run on just two hits in seven and two-thirds innings for a Red Wings team that, again, at the moment, is eight and seven on the season.
3: Here's the pitch that Garcia, swung on and driven a deep center field. Peterson going back, way back, going, going, and gone, goodbye and over the center field wall, a tremendous home run by Luis Garcia.